Well, I'm excited to uh, be before you today and to uh, begin a journey with you as we're starting to look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going to go all the way through this sermon uh, before we're done. Whenever we look at Jesus, we need to remember who we are looking at because you see, He is the Alpha and the Omega. He was before existence ever started. And He will be around after this world is gone. He had a hand in creation. He is the Creator. It says that nothing was made apart from Him. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is our Savior. Everything that we feel that God may hold against us, that's what Jesus went to the cross for, to take care of everything that we thought was standing between us and Him so that there's nothing between. And thank you for picking out that song, Jobin. He is our great high priest. He comes before the throne of the Father and He offers up Himself as a sacrifice on our behalf and His precious blood on our behalf. He is our intercessor. He pleads before the throne of grace for each one of us. He is the soon returning King of kings and Lord of lords before whom every knee will one day soon bow. He is God Himself. It says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then John goes on and says, And we beheld His glory. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think it's important that as we begin looking at the Sermon on the Mount that we, we realize who it is that is speaking and it is God Himself that's speaking to each one of us. You know, there's a story, I'm sure you've heard of the snowbird story about the guy that he didn't think the church was at it. He didn't see why, uh, why, why God would have to come to earth and he sent his wife off to a Christmas thing by herself one night and his family, he stayed home and felt the bump on the window, heard the bump on the window and there was a flock of birds out there, snowbirds. I know I told a bird story last week until I know the one this week. This one isn't funny though. Uh, anyway, the, uh, the thing is, is that uh, this flock of birds was caught in the storm, a snowstorm, and they would light one place, and then they'd take off, and they'd come bumping into walls, into, into the windows again, and he knew that they were going to be just killed in this storm, and he had this huge barn, he goes out, and he opens up the barn door, and he goes out, and he tries to shoo the birds in, and all they do is run from him. And he gets so frustrated because they can't under, he can't understand why they won't just do what he wants them to do. And finally in exasperation, oh, if I could just become a bird. And all of a sudden it dawned on him that that's what God did for us in Jesus Christ. He became one of us so that we could hear and understand. And this is the one who is sitting there on the mountain, on the side of the mountain, And he's speaking to his disciples, to his followers, and he begins his first message that we have recorded as far as uh, what he wants us to know. And he goes through and in the Sermon on the Mount, he covers all that we need to know really for life. 
at our relationship with God. It says he opened his mouth and began to teach them. Whenever he uses that phrase, and he opened his mouth and began to teach, that's a sign that this person is getting ready to say something that's very important, that it's not just conversation, it's teaching that we need to hear. And if it's God that's speaking, don't you think we need to hear? If it's our Creator that's talking, don't you think we ought to hear what He has to say? And so, He opens His mouth, and the first words out of His mouth are these, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now to be blessed is to be given something good by God. And there is a pattern that we see uh, in the uh, Beatitudes. And first of all, there will be, a, it says blessed. That means you've got something good from God. And then there is the consequence, which is in this case the kingdom of heaven. And then there's the characteristic that must be yours for you to be the recipient of this blessing. Now also, there's a pattern in that the first four of the Beatitudes deal with our, uh, uh, our uh, relationship to God and knowing God. And the last four deal with characteristics of those and blessings to those who are in relationship with God and how that manifests itself to the world. And also in this pattern, there is a progression. Each beatitude builds on the next, on the one behind it and all those that precede it. And so the one that we are looking at today is foundational. It is number one. This is the prerequisite quality that you must have in order to enter the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, uh, Jesus said it another way later on in the 18th chapter of Matthew when he says that unless we become like a little child, we can't enter the kingdom of God. And he's pretty well just paraphrasing that. And then he, in, in, in the 18th chapter of Luke, he gives us an example of someone that's not poor in spirit and someone that is poor in spirit. There's a Pharisee and a tax collector. And they're both there in the temple to pray. The Pharisee's there saying, God, I'm just so glad that... Uh, I'm not like this tax collector over here. I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that. And it said that the tax collector just stood back, bowed his head, and beat his chest and said, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, Which one of those do you think went away justified? The one who was poor in spirit. And guess which one was poor in spirit? Well, there are two words in the Bible that deal with being needy. And sometimes this word that's translated here, poor in spirit, in other places it's translated uh, uh, needy. One word is penes in the Greek. And that is somebody that just is barely getting by. 
just life is a struggle. They're just struggling. They just barely can make ends meet. The other Greek word, and the word that's actually used here, is tohos. And that means somebody that isn't getting by, that isn't making it. Somebody that is totally destitute. Someone that doesn't have two pennies to rub together. Someone who has nothing at all as needy as you could possibly get. That's the word that's used here. Not barely getting by, but just not making it. You know, I thought of a couple of instances in my own life that uh, kind of put this in perspective. But uh, before we get to that, I want to tell you a story. Because you see, there are some people that that think, you know, if I could, whenever I get it, we talked at the beginning about people that... Uh, they, uh, well, the people that followed Jesus were not the people that had it all together. And I run across people all the time and all through ministry. I've run across people and I've talked to them about uh, receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Or whenever I talk to them about receiving, the first thing they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm planning on getting back in church. But first of all, I've got to take care of a few things. And uh, I remember one guy that said that to me. I was driving along on I-20. I was going from seminary in Dallas to the church I served in Kilgore. It's a 125-mile run. It's a long commute. And I was driving along there, and there's this guy outside of Tyler on I-20 hitchhiking. And I could see he was having a hard time walking, so I pulled over and offered him a ride. And he... Uh, he, he took me up on it, and uh, as we were riding along, uh, we began to share, and he had uh, somehow, uh, he had been coming from Oklahoma through Dallas, uh, and he was on his way down to the New Orleans area, and uh, he had uh, somehow, his car had broken down, and he was just trying to get on to, to New Orleans, and I said, well... You know, I'm only going as far as Kilgore, but I'll be happy to take you that far. I said, oh, that'll be great. And we got to talking, and uh, he wanted to know what I did. And I explained to him that I was a seminary student and a pastor. And I had the opportunity, you know, going 70 miles an hour down a freeway, you have a captive audience. And so I shared the gospel with this guy. Told him how he could receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, just and how he... Uh, if, he, if there was room for me in the kingdom, there was room for anybody. And that, uh, that how gracious the Lord had been to me. And uh, as I asked him, I said, now, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He said, no, I haven't. So would you like to? He said, you know, from what you've told me, I really would. I really would. But there's some things I've got to take care of first. And uh, our uh, trip together came to an end. I gave him what money I thought that what money I had in my pocket uh, to him to buy some food, and went on home. And just as I got in on the news, there was this uh, news story about how this uh, serial killer had uh, escaped from prison in uh, Oklahoma, and had uh, they know he'd come down through. Dallas and his uh, truck or his car had broken down outside of Tyler 
and they were pretty sure he was on his way to New Orleans. Okay, so whenever he said he had some things to take care of, I shudder at the thought. But he had he had he was going to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior after he took care of a few things. Well, you know, but this is just it. You don't wait till you take care of a few things to come to the Lord. No matter how bad they are or how innocuous they might be. You come to Him just as you are, as the song says. And uh, this guy, I hope that he didn't take care of the things he needed to take care of. I hope that he went ahead and just made that transaction. And the thing is, is back to these words now, the two incidents I was talking about besides that one was uh, one time that it kind of is physically sometimes we can get at the end of our rope, can't we? One time, Sharon and I were out in a sailboat and uh, the boat, it's a little sunfish and is out in the uh, Galveston Yacht Basin and uh, it uh, capsized. And I wanted to swim at an angle from out from under the boat because I didn't want to get caught up in the sail and in the lines. And so I swam and I swam and I swam and I swam. And as I was swimming, I was starting to run out of air. And uh, then all of a sudden it dawned on me, my ears were starting to feel a whole lot of pressure. And I realized... I was swimming toward the bottom of the yacht basin as hard as I could. And I got to the place where I realized this. I was out of air. I had, and, if I, and, and, and my lungs were burning. They were screaming for air. And I knew that if I did anything more, my, I was gonna just, my body was going to automatically br- try to breathe. And, and I, did, I was in a dilemma, you know? Uh, and so what do you do? And then I remembered a law of physics, the law of buoyancy. As long as I had uh, air in my lungs, if I could just keep that air there and not do anything, I would rise to the top. And so... Having faith in the law of buoyancy, I just clung with everything I had to my conviction that I should not breathe. And even though my lungs just cried out for some sort of something to be coming into them, all of a sudden, I rose to the top. You see, what I could not do for myself, another force took care of. And there are spiritual laws that are just like physical laws. And there's a spiritual law that whenever we wind up finding ourselves and admitting that we have nothing, that we are spiritually empty, that we have nothing and there's nothing that we can do that's going to change the situation, That's when you're poor in spirit. And that is when spiritual laws come into play and take us places that we never thought we would ever be able to go. Another incident was whenever uh, I was questioning the existence of God. I was questioning the Christian faith. 
If there was a God, I wanted to serve Him. If Christianity was a joke, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I prayed the prayer, God, if you're real, let me know. And He had begun to let me know. He began to let me see these scriptural principles at work in my workplace. And he began to, I began to see spiritual laws at work. Uh, the Bible just began to come alive to me. But still, I had some doubts. And one night, the Lord just brought a scripture to mind. And it was, unless you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And I wonder, I'd wondered, why is it that people, they sing and He walks with me and talks with me and tells me I'm His own. I never sensed Him or He never walked with me and talked with me. Uh, and there were all these, and, and, and all of a sudden, well anyway, uh, all this stuff that I'd sing about, it sounded real nice, but it wasn't my personal experience. And so, all of a sudden it says, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I thought, well, what does that, if, if there was a Jesus, what did he mean when he said that? And uh, I had two kids at the time, and I noticed uh, that my kids just took what I told them and they ran with it. They didn't question they just believed what I had to say. They trusted me, and they ran with it. We've got a little two-year-old at the house right now. Isaiah's the same way. Well, he just believes. He trusts me. He will stand up on a stool and just jump, knowing I'm going to catch him. He'll just give me a little glint in his eye, and then boom, there he goes. He just trusts me. And I saw that that is what Jesus was getting at, he says, you just got to take what I say and trust it. You've got to be like a little child. Set aside all of your logic, all of your uh, questions, and just take what I say and run with it. And I was one of these people, I did don't know me, the, I was standing back saying, I want to believe, you prove it to me and I'll believe it. And he was saying, try it and you'll prove it yourself. Try what I've already told you and you'll find out that it is so. Prove it like a mathematical formula. Work it out. Instead of trying to get somebody to prove it to you. Well, I thought, okay, well, that's, I'm, I, how do I, where do I go from here? And I realized that what I needed to do would just, I realized I couldn't just say, okay, I believe, you know, but I could act as if this stuff was true. And, I, and so I thought, okay, so I'm just going to act as if the Bible is true and God's Word. I'm going to act as if what the church says about God and us is true. And we'll just see what happens. And this will be the litmus test for the existence of God. If this stuff comes about, if it really works, cool. If it doesn't, then I'll know I need to just take another road. Because at that point in time, I wasn't a good saint and I wasn't a good sinner. I was in this middle of the road sort of a place. And uh, so I, uh, but immediately whenever I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Another scripture came to mind. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
And I thought, well, if there really was a Jesus, now wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm going to act as if Jesus is real. So if there really is a Jesus, wait, there, I'm going to say there is a Jesus, and Jesus really said these words, what did he mean when he said them? And I saw that the cross meant everything to Jesus. It meant everything to his heavenly Father because he got down on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed, Father, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. Obviously his father said, no son, this is the only way. Because Jesus got up from there with resolution and conviction. And he went to that cross for you and for me. Well, I was taking things as they were given and I knew that... uh, The church said that Jesus died for our sins. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. Deep down, I'd always believed in God. Deep down, I knew I had a Creator. Deep down, I knew that He had ordered my life and blessed me in so many ways in spite of myself. And yet, the reason why I was separated from Him, why I didn't know His presence, my sin separated me from God. And you know what? Because of that, I couldn't enter the kingdom. But then, and and I must say, at that moment, it was the bleakest moment in my life because I realized that if all this stuff was true, then there was also a hell. And that if my sin separated me from God, if the kingdom of heaven was not mine, hell was. And looking back on my life and looking at all the sins in my life, I realized that God must have a really special hot place for Joel McMahon. And there was nothing I could do about it. I couldn't, all my good works couldn't change a thing. Turning over a new leaf wasn't going to change a thing. My sin would still be there. I could not undo one bit of the pain I had inflicted on any other people. I couldn't undo any of the affronts that I'd ever made against God. I was separated from Him, and I was going to be for all eternity. From that moment on, I realized I was going to spend the rest of my life trying to postpone the inevitable. I was going to try not to die. You know what? You can't really enjoy living when you're trying not to die. You ever thought about that? I mean, I mean, you know, and I was living just off of Derry Ashford Road, not too far down I-10 from here at that point in time. And I'd hop on the freeway every morning, and you take your life in your hands every time you hop on that freeway. And uh, if I was going to be trained, if you're just worried about staying alive, stay off the freeway, you know. But you, if, even if you hold yourself up in your house and you're not going to go anywhere like Howard Hughes did, and uh, you can, a plane can crash into your house or an engine fall off and crush you, you know, there's no way, and even if all that, sooner or later, it's going to happen. You're postponing the inevitable by just trying to stay alive. And that's no way to live. But that was the life that was stuck before me at that moment. And it was so bleak. And then I thought, now wait a minute, wait a minute. It says something else in Scripture besides Jesus dying for our sins and God really not liking sin. Somehow the cross is supposed to take care of our sin. But I thought, knowing this, 
okay, so Jesus died for our sins. It's not making any difference to me. I'm still feeling lost. What do I do? He said, no one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In desperation, I cried out, Jesus, help me. And in that moment, He came and He helped me. And He gave me a brand new life. He washed me of every sin. He cleansed me. And He gave me a brand new start in life. I came before Him tohos, empty-handed. My best work, my best day was nothing. It meant nothing to Him as far as earning a place in His favor and in His kingdom. You know, Isaiah talks about uh, uh, all of our righteousness without God, without the Lord being as filthy rags. I got to thinking about how childish we are when we try to do our good works and please God to get into heaven and what those things that we do look like to Him. And I hope you don't take offense to this, but you know, uh, uh, Isaiah says that it's like filthy rags. Paul says he counts all those good things that made him the Pharisee of Pharisees, he counted them as dung. Whenever we, in our childishness, it's like we take a dirty diaper and we say, look what I did for you. Now, if a child walked up to you, if your child walked up to you with a dirty diaper and held it up, would you say, oh, that is so wonderful. Yeah, that, thank you for the dirty diaper. You know, you might do that. But would that really be a good gift to give to anybody? But if a mom... If a loving mom, if a kid walks up to her and says, this is for you, the mom's going to think, well, we've got to do something about this, but he's going to love the child bearing the diaper, right? And that's just it. This is kind of the way we come before Him. The best we can offer isn't anywhere near what we really ought to be even thinking about. What we ought to be concerned about It's just how deep God's love is for each one of us. So much so that whenever we were uh, just uh, unlovable and unlovely, that's when He died on the cross for us. That's being tohos and entering into the kingdom. You see, we come before Him empty-handed, but we come before Him knowing that He loves us and that He's made a way for us to fellowship with Him. We come before Him poor in spirit, and He gives us the kingdom. Now some of you, maybe you will like that guy, and I hope you're not like that guy, That's I've got a few things to take care of, but some of you may have been putting it off, and some of you may have been planning some great things you could do for God to get things right between you and God. Forget about those. Just remember, He looks beyond all that. And He says, I don't want that stuff. I want you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to have a wonderful, deep, loving relationship with you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.